Today is part five in the series. I've only touched a tiny bit of the book of, of some principles that God has you know, shown me over the years. For those that know, those that don't know, let me just explain. The book is, is a story of my life. It is story takes really from my from my birth all the way up to to now the abuse that i've had to deal with the rejection uh that i had to deal with as a child the abandonment and then all the other issues that came as a result of that that spilled over into my adult life that many can relate to when it comes to the father issues but i've been hearing a lot of people that had great fathers great mothers uh, that we're able to connect because how many knows all of us have been dropped and hurt by somebody in our life? Can I get an amen? How many knows no matter how great our family was, all of us have been hurt by someone that we trust and love. We may have been dropped by a spouse. It may, and as weird as this sounds, we as parents can be dropped and broken and crushed by our children. And it's not just the children are crushed by the parents. How many of those the children can crush the parents? And, and so there's just all many different kinds of ways. But no matter what has happened to you, it doesn't change who God intended for you to be. So my purpose for this book and the purpose for this series is to show you that no matter how bad the situation is, no matter what's been done to you, said about you, behind your back, to, to your face, Who's dropped you? Who's broke you? Who's abandoned you? Who's taken advantage of you? How many mistakes that you've made? How many of sometimes we self-sabotage our own self? It, a lot of times, one of the biggest issues is really not even what somebody else has done to us. It's what we've done to us. Choices that we've made. Some of us have disqualified ourselves for greatness because of stupid decisions that we made. How many has ever made a stupid decision? Huh? I'm talking about I've, I made one probably this morning. I don't know. I make them on a daily basis. I got two hands up and a leg. Come on, somebody. I mean, I, I'm the master of stupid decisions. And if we're not careful, we'll say things like, well, I hear what you're saying, but greatness, there's no way greatness could be in somebody like me because you don't really know me. You don't really know what I've done. I've done too much to fix it. Some of you are in your 50s and 60s and 70s and you tell yourself, even if I want to fix it, it's too late now. I'm, I don't have enough time left to live a life of greatness. I've lived the opposite of a life of greatness. And here I am at retirement age. How can I make an impact on the world? I want to show you in this book and I want to show you in this series. If this is your first-time guest here today, by the way, can we show all our first-time guests some love right now? If you're a first-time guest today, all you got to do is go to our website, and you can go back and listen to every sermon we've ever preached. So it's there for you to catch up on. But what I want to tell you is this. No matter what you've said, done, decisions that you've made, no matter what you've said about yourself, you do not have the power to ultimately disqualify yourself you can think that you've disqualified yourself but ultimately the qualification for impact is really not up to you because it's nothing that you ever did it was put into in you in conception i'm not talking about when you breathe your first breath life begins at conception 
And when the, the egg was fertilized, it wasn't just the egg that was fertilized. God said he put a purpose and a destiny there. Are you hearing me? So watch this. In fact, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You've probably heard me mention this scripture a few times before. Genesis 1.26 happens to be my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. goes on to say we're going to give them dominion. It was the creation, and it was the, it was the first time we have record of when God spoke about his intention for mankind. He, didn't, he, 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 he made a point to separate us from every other thing he created. From angels all the way down to cockroaches and everything in between. How many of those? There's some things you ask, ask God, why did you even make these things? Huh? But we just got to trust that God had a purpose for a cockroach. I don't, I don't understand it. And not only do y'all not understand it, how's that joker live longer than anybody? I think one of the reasons he, he created them is so that we can have the joy of hearing them crack when we crush it. <laughs> oh. But see, something about a life of greatness is tied, whether it's, just, it's tied to how we see ourselves. Because the reality is this, the way we see ourselves is the way we will walk. Are you hearing me? You might want to write that down. But you got to understand something is this. You've heard it said, but we don't really practice it. And we believe it, but we don't really practice it. And that is this, that we do not walk by sight or we do not walk by feelings, but we walk by what? Faith. How many of us, it's God's will for us to walk by faith. How many of us, now faith, we know what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us what faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, things not seen. It is you have something internally inside of you that becomes tangible and evidence to you that it is real and you can believe that it is real even though no one else can see it, but they cannot convince you that it's not real. That's what faith is. Faith is you see it with your spirit man. Are you hearing me? I said, are you hearing me, church? But when we allow ourselves to be led by the physical perspective of what we see with our eyes, what we hear with our ears, and what we've experienced in our lives, then we disqualify ourselves for any life of impact or greatness. But God does not operate in what we see. He sees things that we can't see. So he tells us, you need to trust me, walk by my direction, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So when you allow him to guide you, then he will sometimes take you down paths that your natural eyes will scare you to death. Why in the world am I going here? How did I get here? But God is saying, I see things that you can't see. You need to trust me. One of the greatest examples of, of perspective that I know of is, is, I have to make things simple for my mind because I'm a simple-minded person, 
and I'll talk about it in the book, is, is in Alabama, you know, how many times we plan, how many times we plan things down to the, to the minute? You, if you've been working at a place for any amount of time, you know exactly how long it takes you to get to work to the minute if there's no kind of situations that happen. So, so you can look at the clock in the morning, you're eating your, your breakfast, you're drinking your coffee and all this, and you're watching the news, and there comes a moment that you know, if I don't get up right now, and get in my car right now, there is zero chance I'm going to make it on time. If you know what I'm saying, say amen. amen. But how many of those, when we do that, we do that with the assumption that nothing happens between here and there. Because we've got it time, we in our mind have it timed down to this is what it takes if everything works out. But how many know sometimes everything don't work out? Somebody decides to have a blowout or some, something happens, there's a wreck or there's work construction that you didn't know about and it messes up your whole plan. But what happens a lot of times is even on a beautiful day, even when there's no traffic and no wreck and you feel, I got this thing. For those of you that ever have to cross the train track on your way to a destination, how many knows? On all the other days that you, that you are on, you're going to be a little bit early and there ain't no issues. You go across that thing, ain't no train inside. But the day you get up and you got it timed down to, I got a five minute window here, a three to five minute window, or I'm not going to make it because I'm running behind. That is the day. Come on, somebody, y'all know where I'm going. That is the day that you are seeing it, you're thinking about it, you're thinking about being stupid, by the way. Don't ever try to beat the train. Come on, somebody. Don't be stupid. You're thinking about trying to be stupid. You hear it coming. You don't see it coming, and you're like, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it. And you come around the corner, and then all of a sudden, the arms come down, ding, 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 and all of a sudden you're there and you begin to praise God. <laughs> Amen. That's all that comes out of your mouth is just praise, man. Come on, somebody. When people see you bounding that, banging that steering wheel, they don't know you're going, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for teaching me patience glory to god and when your hands are up and all this you're you know you ain't doing nothing with your fingers but praising god and all the people that's blowing their horn at you what you don't really what the, one of the most frustrating things about that moment is that you're looking at your watch you're looking at the train you're looking at your watch you're looking at the train and you're looking down the corner you're looking around the curve and in alabama it's different in different states like when you go out west but i'm talking about in alabama our perspective in alabama there's so many hills and trees it is impossible in Alabama until you go down to, to almost to the coast where the land flattens out. And even there, it's even difficult because of the trees. But it's almost impossible, if virtually impossible up here, to ever see the end of the train from the beginning of the train. All you can see is cars coming. You know the end is coming, but you can't see the end. And if you're like me, sometimes it's like, it's, you just like look over at your wife and you go, is this not like one of the longest trains you've ever seen in your life? Because it's still really just the same train. But because you need to get through there, it seems like it's ten times longer than a typical train. Because we are being moved by what we see. We are being moved by our limitations, our perspective. But if we could simply, if this was our car sitting at that at that cross at, at that crossroads at the where the train tracks are and we're sitting there and we're seeing around the, and all of you just see those tra- if you had a, a back to the future uh, car or something that could fly and all of a sudden if that thing could just go up straight up if your car could just go straight up how much it wouldn't take a whole lot as soon as you got above the tree line 
you could look out and you could see the end of the train. It's all about perspective, right? Are you hearing me? I said it's all about perspective. Somebody shout perspective. I remember when I went out west and I covered this in the book when I was a teenager. I'd never been out, out of basically other than uh, Smoky Mountains. Panama City, that's the only place I'd ever been. And when I went out west, I'd never seen anything like it. Got into Texas and got into the plains of Texas. They call it plains of Texas for a reason. I mean, number one, it's just plain. <laughs> but number two, it's plain and straight. There ain't nothing there. And I remember getting out of a rest stop and looking out, hearing a train, and looking out there and seeing something. I didn't know what it was at first. Then I really got to looking at it, and I saw an entire train from the engine to the caboose and distance before it and after, I was sitting there watching it. It was like a little toy train going. I was watching the whole train. I couldn't imagine that that was even possible because of how things are here in Alabama. Can I tell you something? I look back on it now and I realize that's a glimpse of God's perspective. God always has that perspective. He always sees not just the beginning and the end of the train. He sees what's before the train and he sees what's coming after the train. And he tells us that we need a different perspective. The first thing on your notes is simply this. Nothing causes us to doubt our potential like limited perspective. Nothing causes us to doubt our potential like limited perspective. What's this? How many of us have got peripheral vision, right? I'm looking straight at Delane, but I can see movement on the side. I can see figures all the way, all the way to, to Richard. I know that's Richard, and only because I know Richard sits right there. But, but I, I can see the blur of somebody in the peripheral of my eye. But how many knows the moment I do this, I've now lost Richard. He's still here, but I can only see so much. If, but if I really want to look at Richard, I've got to look straight at him. But God is not limited when I have to turn. When he tells me to turn to the right, he still knows what's coming from the left. But all we can see is what is in front of us when we turn to the right. Come on, somebody. See, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, there is a whole nother realm, the spirit realm, that angels live in, that demons live in, that spiritual warfare is going on in, that we can't see. Our situation is in temporal. We may lose our job. And when we lose our job, we are living in the moment of that temporal moment. All we can see is the, is the worry about what's going to happen. I'm not going to lose my house. How am I going to explain it to my spouse? We're just, all we can deal with is what we see in that realm. But what we, and that's only temporary. Because how many knows, number one, if we put our faith in God, nothing ever really turns out as bad as we thought it was going to be. How many knows, God's always got a plan. He sees the spiritual warfare. He sees things that we can't see. He sees the big picture. Somebody shout the big picture. Sometimes it takes us having to go through losing something that means a lot to us in order for us to be a candidate to receive a promotion or a better situation because if it was up to us, we would never leave someplace where we were comfortable. 
So God has to do things sometimes in our life and allow things to happen in a comfortable situation to move us out of that comfortable situation so that we can be a, a, a candidate to be blessed and promoted for the next thing. See, the next thing we you notice is this. When you begin to see the big picture, it changes everything. When you begin to see the big picture, it changes, your, it changes everything. Wouldn't you love to have the opportunity for God to show you what your, look, your life is going to look like five years from now? See, five years from now, when you start getting older like I am, five years ain't nothing. Come on, are y'all hearing me? I remember when five years was an eternity when I was in school. Come on, somebody. When you was in the eighth grade, I got to be here five more years. I mean, it felt like the time was just dragging like a ball and chain. But how many knows you graduated? Told all your friends, hey, we're going to stay together. We're going to stay together. Let's, 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 let's enjoy. Let's come on. We, we're going to hang out this summer. We ain't going to be like all the other ones. We're going we're gonna to be best friends for life. How many knows you walked out that night and you ain't seen most of them since that night? 95% of them. Because life happens, don't it? It just takes off and all of a sudden five years is nothing. Lock and change in five years, though. You think back on your, own, your life five years ago. It's hard to believe that this coming October, we will be in this building five years. Is that incredible that it's already been five years? Come on, give God the praise. Five years ago, we was in another building thinking about trying our best to a dream for a multi-million dollar facility of which no one gave us a shot. And here we are five years later and ain't never missed a bill. Come on, somebody. Somebody I'll just go ahead and praise him right there. Come on. It's called faith. You got to start believing. Have faith. Five years from now, things are not going to look like they look now. I promise you. On so many levels. That's what happened to me. I'm driving on my lawnmower one day. I'm, I'm gripping and complaining to God about situations in my family. And I'm just, you know, I'm reminding him about all the great things that I've done for him. Come on, y'all hear me. I mean, that's what we tend to do, man. We just like, I just want to remind you that I could be doing this, this, and this, but I'm doing this for you, God. How, this way, you don't want to admit it, but you might even say it with your mouth, but you think in your mind, how could you let this happen? How could you let this happen? And while I'm doing that, and I'm just having a, my little pity party on that lawnmower, God just stopped me. That's what he said to me. He said, son, your problem is this. you got to begin to see the big picture. I'm like, I, in my mind, I heard that. I'm like, I've heard that all my life. Well, look at the big picture. Gotta look at the big picture. He said, no, 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 no. Not that kind of big picture. you got to trust me. When I say you've got to begin to see the big picture, you've got to see things, begin to see things from my perspective and my promises in my word. So he, so he spoke directly to me. Are you thankful that you have a God that cares intimately about what you're going through? Amen. I'm talking about my, my God spoke directly to what Larry Raglan was dealing with. Not a gen I didn't hear a generic thing from God. Yeah. 
He talked to me about my life. There's no other God like that. There's no other God. Rest of them fake. Huh? God said to me, do you really think that everything you're complaining to me about is going to look just like that five years from now? He said, I want you to dream for a moment. And he started telling me things that would happen in five years from now. He said, just five years from now, let me show you what this situation is going to look like. And for a, for a brief moment there, I saw a picture of an entirely different situation just in five years. And the peace came over me. And I want you to know that I got back on that lawnmower, finished cutting the grass, but the rest of the day, and to this day for the rest of my life, has it always been perfect? No. Have I always been big picture like I should be? No. But it has, that simple moment has enabled me so many times to be facing something, and it seems impossible. And I'll just step back and I'll just say, but you know what, God? I'm going to be big picture on this moment right now. I'm just going to be big picture because I know one thing. I know there is no way this thing is going to continue to look this way. So God, until I walk in it, I'm going to walk through your perspective. Not by what I see. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. So I'm going to walk where you tell me to walk. I'm going to say what you tell me to say. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And I'm going to trust you. Watch this. I want you to get this. Jesus Christ says, it says about Jesus in the, old, in, in the book of Revelation, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one that was and is and is to come. He says he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Come on, y'all hear me. Do you understand that in the, in the Greek alphabet, Alpha is our A, Omega is our Z. So he is the A and he is the Z. I tell you this all the time, but you need to get it. He is not the A, or he was not the A at one time, and one day he's going to be around at the Z. He was before A ever even existed. He existed before A, and he's already been to Z, and he, exists, he has existed for eternity and millennial already beyond the Z before we ever even get to the Z. Oh, that's mind-boggling. But what we think is, we, uh, that's one of the things about the other chapter in the book, chapter 2 of the book, of, of, of something we preach many times here, start wars. It's all about how you start something. And we, because how you start something is going to affect how you operate in the middle of it and certainly affect how you finish it. And we're always trying to ask God to finish what we started instead of what He started. If we'll, the Bible, He said He promises He will accomplish what He set out to do. So listen to this. So if he's the A to the Z, we think because, well, big picture just simply means that in every situation, God's going to show me something big at A, and he's going to show me Z, and then I'm just going to walk in victory, and I'm just going to be in Z. I don't know what kind of life you've been living, because if that has worked out for you, then I need you to lay hands on me today. Because I could tell you throughout my life, over and over and over again, God will show me a vision at A. He'll show me many times Z. And I'll get so excited because I see Z. I'll give you an example real quick. When we were in Trafford, Alabama, downtown Trafford, Alabama, the mayor, mayor, wave your hand, mayor. Everybody see the mayor. That's the mayor of Trafford right there. We have royalty. Now watch this. Population, 700. You know how many was in Trafford? 
in 1991, when I became a pastor there, 700. So I don't know how in the world the census keeps saying traffic only has 700 people. You hear people on TV show, I live in a small town, a small town of 20,000. Oh, I hear that, I laugh. I was like, that's a small town? My church was a, church, a city of 700 in the whole city. But we, if you're ever going to Trafford, you know this about Main Street Trafford. You got Young's Grocery on one side. I can't even remember. What's it called again? K-Max. The famous K-Max. Back in the day, it was called Jiffy Check. So you had Jiffy Check, and you had Young's Grocery, and God called us to pastor our first little church right there in the middle, this little section of the building. And God, I had an A moment right there. God gave me a vision. He said, you're going you're gonna to start a church, and this church is going to raise up pastors and missionaries and leaders. It's going to have a Bible college. It's going to have a campus that can seek thousands can can minister to thousands he starts telling me all these kind of things he gave it to me right there in downtown Trafford so you know what happens this is what happens because all we can do is operate by our limited perspective so what I did very next Sunday I got up at church and I said I'm gonna tell you what God's told me y'all we had about 15 people I said God's told me we're gonna change the world God's told me we're gonna change the world okay I started laying off all these things we're gonna do so I'm so all I can see is a right I saw Z at a so I started saying, you know what we're going to do? I know it sounds silly, it sounds crazy. I don't want nobody to lose their houses. It's going to be all right. I turned my, turned my back to the crowd, and right behind the building, going up traffic, you know anything in traffic, there's a, there's, a, there's a little hill that goes up, and it's full of houses up there. I said, we're going to buy all those houses, and we're going we're gonna to bring in machinery, and we're going to tear down that mountain, and we're going to build a 5,000-seat sanctuary right here in the middle of Trafford, Alabama. How many is with me? That's about the way it sounded. That's about the way it sounded that day, man. It's just like crickets in the room, man. But what, but what I didn't realize, and I'm learning, and I've learned over the years, is God could show me the Z because He's the Z. I'm not the Z. There's a man in this church that helped me learn a, a very simple principle. I was explaining to him about the big picture and about some things going through in my family. And with tears in his eyes, and I get, I get tore up every time I think about it. He said, Pastor, I've learned to live my life from A to B, from B to C, from C to D, from D to E. Are y'all hearing me? And if, I'll, if I can walk in knowing that I've gone from A to B, that's a win. So I begin to praise God because I look back and I think I'm not in A anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm one step closer to Z. So how do we get there? Uh, between services, when I talked about this in the first service, uh, uh, one of our leaders came up to me and said, how do you go from A to B to C to D? Pastor, I felt like when you were preaching, God said, the way you go from step to step is what, God, what you make happen for others, God makes happen for you. So love people, serve people, give to people in A, and as you're helping them advance in their vision and destiny before you even realize it, God will move you to B. Come on, somebody. So, hey, somebody give him praise, man. So see, that's why I love folks in here helping me preach, y'all. I stole it. I stole it. I stole it. I ain't giving him credit who it was. So I praise God. So next week, it's mine. It's mine. So I got to hurry. How many times have I said that over the years? In 24 years of passing this church, I got to hurry up. And how many times does it matter? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, the, the, the book is special to me because... Uh, I had to get it out of me. 
I've been asked by several people in the media and different places, why did you write the book? What compelled you to write the book? And, and at first that was a, a deep question. And then I got it. I got, my first time I answered it, I've answered the same way every time, is because I, I said, you know, honestly, I just had to get it out of me. I've been, it's been in, it'd been in me for so long. I just had to get it out. I had to deal. It was therapy for me. I had to deal with some things that I thought I had closed the door on. Somewhere through the, middle, through the middle to the last third of the book, God began to speak to me as I was writing it, that he was going to use it. That he was going to use it to connect with people on many levels. And he's like, this is, this is more than what you thought it was. I've put you, I caused you to do this because I want to help people. And so when I got to chapter, in chapter 9, I had brought us all the way up to our story to being in this building. And so it came to the time of chapter 10, and, and, and God spoke to me and said, you need to have a chapter at the end as people have gone on this journey with you and as they've made a decision to change their life, that they've made a decision to see greatness in them, you've got to give them some principles. You've got to give them some simple things that they can apply to their lives, that if they'll do that, if they'll do these things, greatness can be seen in them. So, so I give several principles, and I'm not going to preach them. You know, they're in the book for you there if you want them. And this is the last of the series, so I just want to, couple, to hit a couple of them. That, that I think are some of the more prominent ones that seem so simple, but yet they're very difficult for us to do. And I think I've skipped over a bunch of notes, haven't I? Did I give you all, when you begin to see the big picture, it changes everything? Did I give you all that one? Okay. The next one is, I'm going to tell you this, what I want you to get is the number one principle of chapter 10 is go all in. Everybody say go all in. Next thing in your notes is this. No one has ever lived a life of greatness with a half-hearted effort. No one has ever lived a life of greatness with a half-hearted effort. If any preacher tells you that Christianity, you don't have to do anything after you've been born again, after you've been a Christian, get out of that church. I know you can't earn your salvation. And I know you can't earn the ability to keep your salvation. But the Word of God says, faith without works is dead. The Word of God says, you can tell me your faith by your mouth, but you need to show me your faith by your actions. The Word of God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Word of God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But you know what else the Word of God says? Work while it is day. For the night is coming when no man can work. You can't work your way into heaven. But let me tell you something. If you're not willing to get your hands dirty, if you're not willing to get up off that pew and do something to serve God, you're not going to live a life of greatness. You're going to read about it. You're going you're to watch sermons about it. And you're going to spend the rest of your life saying that's for everybody else but me. But one of the first things that you've got to do if you want to live a life of greatness and a life of impact is you need to get up off your rear end and do something. I mean, okay, y'all didn't get it. Get up off your butt and do something. Maybe you'll remember that one. That's some of y'all's biggest problem is your big old butt. Huh? You and your butt. Your butt's so big you can't even hardly get in the door. What are y'all thinking about? I'm talking about... Not B-U-T-T, I'm talking about B-U-T. I would serve God, but I work all the time. I would hand out a worship guide, but I just want to come and receive when I come. 
Y'all don't know the hell I got to go through during the week. This is my filling station. I got to come and soak it up like a sponge. Listen, if you got to have uh, 90 minutes of coming and soaking up like a sponge to stay saved the rest of the six and a half days of the week, then, honey, you need more than a 90-minute service in your life. Come on, somebody. You need to get up off your butt. Huh? Look at your day and tell you got a big old butt. Oh, yeah. Some people say, well, you know, Pastor, I'll, I'll do anything you need me to do. Just let me know what you need me to do. Well, I need you to park cars. Uh, well, well, I, I'll do it, but I just want you to know that's not my spiritual gift. I, 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 I took the spiritual gift testing, and uh, I don't remember saying anything about parking cars. It was, it was something about intercession. I, I, need, I, need to, I think I need to be on the prayer team, or I need to be on the praise team, or, or I, need to be, uh, I need to be, no, 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 no. Everybody's on the prayer team. Everybody's on the praise team. What's the praise team comes down and they're ushers. Prayer team comes down, hands out worship guy. Prayer team, some of them on the prayer team, the ushers, parking cars, coming in and sweating from outside, coming straightened up here in ministry. Y'all think they're sweating in the Holy Ghost. They're up here sweating because they're out there parking your cars. Sometimes you look around and say, well, where's so-and-so today? Sister so-and-so, I don't see her. She's usually here every Sunday. She's in the nursery rocking babies. Can I get an Amen. She's at the, uh, he or she's at the check-in desk, checking in kids. Walking around security, taking care and protecting your family. So here's the reality. We want to do everything we can do to find your spiritual gift, to put you in your spiritual gift. But the, the, but the bottom line is, you need to have a heart to serve. There are people in this church, and I mean there's no dis- dis- disrespect, because I know some of them have health issues, and some of these have other kind of issues. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to people who does, doesn't have any kind of physical limitations to them whatsoever. But yet, I, can I be playing with y'all this morning? I got, I got to be real with y'all. I'm your pastor, right? You refuse to get off the bench. You refuse to do anything to serve in this house. But yet your babies are taken care of, your, your, your vehicles are protected, your, your belongings are protected, you are safe, your children are being taught, you're getting a word that is relevant and powerful, you've got some of the most powerful worship that you'll find anywhere, you're being prayed for, no matter what your needs are, you're being ministered to and prayed for, it's time for you to go all in. Well, I don't feel great. Get around, oh, let me hurry up, get to my next point. The next point then, if you don't feel great, the next thing is surround yourself with greatness. If you don't feel any greatness in you, it's because you're hanging around people who do not see greatness in you. And that's all you're hanging around. You, know what you want to know what your life's really going to look like five years from now? Let me give you a spiritual gift. I'll help you out. Look at the people you're hanging out with. That's what you're going to look like five years from now. Oh, I know we're supposed to hang out with the sinners. I know we're supposed to hang out with people who need Jesus. I know we're supposed to minister to people who need Jesus. Jesus did it everywhere he went. But guess what? When it came time for his downtime, his personal time, he went to the campfire and sat around, broke bread and eat fish with his disciples. That could identify who he was to the best of their ability. Surround yourself with greatness. The entire premise of my book speaks to the fact that you cannot see your full greatness on your own. You need someone to see greatness in you. I see greatness in you. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I see greatness in you. 
You know what? Even if they don't, the words are still powerful to hear someone say that about you. But whether you see it in that person or not, it don't even matter. It's there. It has to be there. It wasn't put there because of what side of the tracks you were born on. It wasn't put there by your education level, what your name is, what color your skin is, how much money you got, what your nationality is, how much is in your bank account, how big your house is, how big your car is, what your title on your job is, whether you're a business owner or whether you're at the bottom of the totem pole or you own the whole shebang. Greatness has nothing to do with any of that. In fact, he even goes and says, none of you are even good. So he says in Romans, you're not even good. He says, you think you're big and bad? Let me tell you what your goodness looks like and smells like to me. A stinking, filthy rag. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just quoting the Bible. Not my, not, I'm not saying it. Take it up with him. We can't even be good without God, but with God we can be great. Because His DNA of greatness is within us. But you've got to get around people that are more than giant sucking sound vacuum cleaners that suck the life out of you when, you when they walk in the room. You know those people? You're having a good day. You're hanging out with people who are giving you life. And you see them coming and you literally start saying, Oh, Father God, in the name of Jesus right now, I plead, I cover myself and I cover my mind right now. My mind is covered. Or you'll be like, Hey, man, oh, praise God. I'm, oh, yeah. Or, or you, how about this one? Now this is what we do now. Yeah? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'll get with you just a second. You know what I'm saying? And what's embarrassing is when you're doing that and all of a sudden somebody really calls. <laughs> oh, what just happened? I lost them. They're calling me back. Oh, yes. Good to see you, man. Hope to see you soon. Y'all have a good one. Because you know, it's not that you're not, you're not trying to be personable. You just know, God, if, if I stand there, they're going to suck the life out of me. God loves them. God has people to minister to them, but sometimes you've got to learn how to walk away. Sometimes you've got to learn how to get yourself out of a negative situation so that you can hear God speaking to you. Now, I'm not talking about some of y'all don't twist my words. I, every time, I always got to be careful with my words because some of y'all be like, well, my negative situation is my spouse, then the Lord just told me to get out. That is not what I said. <laughs> that is not what I said. Don't you go home and say, Pastor said you're negative. And I don't need you in my life. Get out! That is not applicable to that. See, surround yourself with greatness. Next thing on your notes real quick is one of the most important steps towards greatness is to find your spiritual father and mother. Can I tell you something? There's a difference between a preacher and a pastor. I ain't your preacher. Never have been your preacher. You can call me your preacher, but I ain't your preacher. Because here's what, in, in, our, in our culture, when you hear somebody say, you ask, where you go to church? I go down there, that, that church down there, the first church, so-and-so, and, and uh, well, who's your pastor? Well, my preacher is. And what that means nowadays in our culture is the guy we've hired right now to talk to us for 20 minutes on Sunday morning, his name's Larry Ragland. Let me tell you, when you got a preacher and not a pastor, you will think you can vote that preacher out when he preaches something that you don't like. Right. 
Huh? Come on, somebody. But the book, the book of John, chapter 10, tells us Jesus is talking about the difference between a hireling and a shepherd. A hireling is a preacher. And by the way, did you understand that you're a preacher? Paul said, no, you're not that we're all ministers of the gospel. So you're the preachers. I'm equipping you for the work in the ministry. That's my job. My job is to equip the preachers. I'm not your preacher. My job is to train the preachers. He said, a hireling, here's how you know. They look the same. They talk the same. Sometimes they even got the same garb on. They t speak the same lingo. The only way you can tell the difference between a hireling and a shepherd is when the wolves come. And when the wolves come in and start trying to take out the sheep one by one, that's when you see the shepherd rise up. And that's when you see the hireling get on the phone and call headquarters and say, it's time for me to find another church. Can you find me somewhere quick? Because I don't want to deal with this mess. God does not send you to a church. He sends you to a shepherd. That's, that's biblical. That's biblical. And it said, when he says, when, when I will give you pastors who will feed you. Do you feel like you're being fed good right now? Number three, I'm going to go, Turbo speed. Be open to loving criticism. If you want to live a life of greatness, be open to loving criticism. Next thing you notice is this one of the hardest things for a leader to do is to accept constructive criticism. Because the, you're, you're a leader and you're a visionary. And because you're a leader and a visionary, if you're a leader of greatness, you expect great things to happen and, you've, and you expect to, have no, to know everything that's going on. You need to have people in your life that can speak freely into your life. Every great preacher, let me back up because you won't call him great. Every preacher that you've ever saw fall from grace in TV and media, get caught in something, doing something they shouldn't be doing, ministry destroyed. Most all, I won't say all because I don't know, but I can tell you this, I've studied most of them that's failed, and most all of them started out greatness. They started out with a pure heart after God. They started out truly loving the kingdom. They started truly loving people. But they all made the same mistake. They did not allow anyone to speak into their life. They become elite. They, they, they were untouchable. See, when a shepherd no longer spends time with the sheep, by default, they're no longer a shepherd. You can call yourself a shepherd. But if you don't smell like sheep, if you don't talk to the sheep, if you don't touch the sheep, I don't know about y'all, but I've been in churches where the pastor is not seen until the time he's preaching. And the moment he gets through preaching, he walks straight off with his entourage behind the stage, goes straight to his office, sits back in his office and drinks Perrier water. Even if that's how you even say it, I don't know. Because all I should drink is Sam's Choice. And... And you don't, you don't ever see them either. And everybody talking about, I love my pastor, I love my pastor. They ain't never even seen them, except when they're preaching. And here's the reality. Most of the time, the sheep spend the rest of their life doing everything they can do to promote the greatness of that man. Make sure he drives the finest, lives in the finest. He is honored and all this. And I'm all about honor. They forget. You got a whole entire congregation that never sees greatness in themselves. 
because a culture in that house is, has been developed that the only man that's great in there is the, is the main man. A shepherd spends time with the sheep, sings to the sheep, puts oil on the sheep when they're wounded, bandages them up. Come on, do you hear me? That's what a shepherd does. Amen? And the last thing, never stop learning. Never stop learning. When our, when our ambassador college students finish, it's always a sense of relief. God, it's over. I made it. One of the first things I always try to tell them is, whatever you do, and some of you ambassador students need to listen to me because you've already fell into this trap. Whatever you do, don't allow yourself to fall into the justifiable thing. I'm going to take a break from all this reading that I've been forced to do. Because usually I'm just going to take a couple months off. I ain't reading nothing because I've read so much. Next thing you know, you're two and three years down the line and you don't hardly ever read. You've stopped learning. Don't stop reading. Don't stop learning. I don't care how old you are. If your mind is able to comprehend, read. Read. The last thing you notes is if you are teachable, then you are reachable. Thus, if you're not teachable, you're not reachable. So if you're not careful, you're, while you've moved from out of teachability and out of reachability, this is how it manifests in churches. Well, I tell you what, when I first started going to that church, that pastor was on fire, and I used to really feel like I'd been fed. I just don't feel like I'm being fed anymore. You'll hear people say that. And the truth is, you're sitting right next to somebody who's going, my God, that's the best steak I ever ate in my life. Because they're teachable. See, you can literally be sitting right next to somebody in church and you can be offended by almost every word that I've said right next to somebody that's life is being changed by every word that I said. Because it's all about perspective and it's all about the spirit of teachability that you are in your life. If you are open and teachable, you are able to hear things that you don't like and you may not even agree with and you may even be able to, in your mind, think you can prove it's not even right. But if you're not careful, you, that justifiable spirit will come on you and you'll you might be right listen to me you might be right but that doesn't mean that you're reachable because god and i and i don't have scripture for this this is my opinion i think god would rather you be reachable than to be always right now i'm not saying he would rather you be biblically sound that's not what i'm saying how many of us, we don't always have to win. So one of the things that I tell in the book, in chapter 10, is a story about when I first got called to preach the gospel. I absolutely loathed reading. I hated it. I'm ashamed to say that in 12 years of school, I don't remember reading any book that was ever assigned to me or in the library in 12 years of school ever reading it through. I don't even have a memory of it even halfway through. I read a few Hardy Boys mysteries and that's about it. 
Some of y'all don't even know who Hardy's boys are, but that'll tell you how old I am. So how did you graduate, Larry? How did you do book reports? My friend was Delane McCurry. <laughs> so let's just, let's just put it this way and make me sound really good. He helped me a lot. <laughs> but I said, God, how am I, how am I going to teach people your word when the only way you can learn the word is you've got to read it? So I asked God. I said, God, I'll never, I'll never forget. I was, I was working for a company that's doing the maintenance for, for Bell South, now AT&T. And I was doing my rounds. And I received the call to preach the gospel. I was just a youth pastor. I remember going inside one of the little mechanical rooms. Wow, ain't it amazing how so many years later you can think back on a moment and it can arrest you again. I ain't thought about this moment in a long time. I had a little pocket Bible. I pulled it out of my work shirt. I opened it up. I said, God, I'm asking you, give me a supernatural love to read. I don't want to read everything, but I especially got to be able to read this, God. I'm asking you. I don't have it. I can only have it if you give it to me. I laid my hands on a little Bible, and I opened it up. I did not feel any love to read. I still hated it. But I just started reading it. I was on my break, and I just started reading it. I just started sort of feeling something. The words started jumping off at me. They were, it was different. That was probably 1989 or 19, probably 1990. 1989, it was actually 1989. And over time, God just started giving me a supernatural love to read. I found myself, this was long before cell phones, found myself picking up shampoo bottles and reading them. Used to when you go spend time with Jesus, that's all I'm going to say. You didn't have nothing else to read. If you didn't have a newspaper, you, you got a conditioner bottle and read the ingredients. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all don't. It's okay if you don't. I always read all the time. Then one day, later on in the years, throughout this church, one of the hardest times of my life is talked about in the book as well. It's a time that I was, more than any time in the history of pastoring this church, I was done pastoring. I was, I was done. In fact, I, I had already had multiple scenarios about how I was going to get out of pastoring. I, I hated it. I hated the ministry. I had been hurt and broken by so many people. I had been abandoned by so many people, done wrong by so many people. My family had suffered beyond what anyone knew i'd watched my kids suffer over and over and over again cry i watched my kids lay in the floor of my living room and cry daddy why do church people have to be this way that's what they would say why do they want to lie about you why why do they keep lying about you daddy it's hard to watch it's hard to take i was done so i i, I needed affirmation in my life and the gift that was in my life so I went into sales and I started a business I actually started a few businesses over the years and I helped found this business and and it began to be successful and during that time it kept me in the game can I just be real y'all if it wasn't for me being in the business world that during that time because I would go speak and I would speak to hundreds and hundreds of people in, in banquet halls and rooms and sell these products and and I ended up 
connecting with one of the greatest legends in the history of Alabama football. He became a very close friend of mine. He began to fly me to NFL camps, and I was teaching and selling products in Atlanta Falcons, Tennessee Titans, Dallas Cowboys, New Orleans Saints. I was, li- I was, I was pastoring a church of about 35, 40 people, but I was being affirmed by it. And throughout that, I opened up another business. And so long story short, when I was in the business with the NFL players, I met this guy who later came on our second business and became an investor, a multimillionaire. He invested in our company. I already had a love to read, but this is going to help somebody. I saw how successful this man was. He was a surgeon in Kentucky. He was a millionaire. He worked every day. He worked 12 to 14 hours a day. And then he would work businesses. He was a man of God. I was like, what is your secret? What is the one secret to your success? And it changed my life. I'll never forget, he talked to me as a father. He said, son, I want you to imagine a giant bookshelf full of all kinds of colored books. And you are standing in front of that bookshelf. He said, I want you to look at the top of that bookshelf. You see that thing that's shining at the top? That's your purpose for which you were created. That's your destiny. I would say now, he didn't say that, but that's your path to greatness. He said, do you know how you get to it? It's very simple. There's no ladders in the room. There's no lifts. There's no steps. You reach up to that bookshelf and you pull a book off. And you open it up and you read it. You get through reading it, put it on the ground. And you pull another one. You get through reading it, you set it on top of it. Then you stand on top of those books. And he said, if you never stop learning, son, if you never stop being teachable, one day you'll pull a book off and you won't even expect it. And it will supernaturally take that stack even higher. And you'll reach up and you'll be able to grab the purpose for which you exist. He said, so there's my secret. Never stop learning. Never stop reading. Because every book you read takes you to the next level. So I'm going to tell you, be teachable. Be a reader. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. But don't fall into the trap that I've had to pull myself out of many times, and that is this trap. That you spend so much time reading books like this, about this book, that you don't read this book. People will justify their reading. Well, I read all kinds of T.D. Jakes and Rod Parsley and Joyce Meyer and all these teaching me how to live by this, but they never read this. This is the book that gives you life. Always allow books like this to only be a supplement to point you towards the principles of this book. Because this is perfect. This is not.